You can take your seats. <clears throat> Kids, Miss Gage is over there to take you to uh, children's worship. You guys can head out. Okay, we're uh, finishing up today our look uh, at the parables, uh, and technically the text for today is not a parable, technically, uh, by the, the definition of that, but it doesn't matter because since I pick out the text that we preach through, uh, this is what we're going to do. So, uh, and the reason, the reason for that uh, is because we, we've been spending this time in the parables, and one of the the parables are so rich and so wonderful, but one of the problems with uh, an in-depth study of the parables is it will tempt us at times to think that what Jesus said is more important than what he did. And uh, I, I'm not saying that one is more important than the other, but we shouldn't think that what he said is more important than what he did, for sure. And so uh, as we look at this today, this this text gets to gives to us a clear sense of Jesus' own self-identification of who he is uh, and who we are in light of that. So that's what I want us to look at today. John chapter 10, verses 11 uh, through 15. The text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. So one of the things, one of the problems with this is we've read the 23rd Psalm, we've sung the 23rd Psalm, and now we've read a text about shepherds, right? Uh, The truth is, for most of you, uh, uh, you are familiar with sheep in as as so far as you have seen them at petting zoos, correct? (laughs) Right? I mean, uh, that's, that's typically about as close as we get to them, maybe to one, but never to a hundred. I mean, one sheep is cute. A hundred's a nightmare, frankly. Okay, so so as you as you look at this and as you think think about this, one of the things that uh, uh, we we think about is we think we know what shepherd means. It's the kindly guy, dressed in a funny robe, cool hat, out by himself, holding the crook stick, overseeing his sheep peacefully grazing in a field. And I hope it's like that. I really do. And when we read this and we think about this, those are the kind of images that the word shepherd conjures up for us. The fact of the matter is the people, the original audience of this, understood the word shepherd to have certainly those kinds of implications, but they also believed they had deeply political connotations. Now, I don't want to get into a lot of, of uh, esoteric uh, studies of ancient Near Eastern literature, 
but some of you took a class in high school or college called Western Civilization. Some of you did. And, 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 and some of you even still remember it, right? Well, in Western Civilization, one of the things that you learn is one of the first places where law is codified is the Code of Hammurabi. Hammurabi, Hammurat, yeah. Hammurabi was a king in the ancient Near East, and in the Code of Hammurabi, he calls himself the shepherd of his people. It was not uncommon for kings to do that. So this is not something unique to God's people. This is a, this is a common thing. And it's even, and, and so whenever you hear about this, whenever we think about shepherd and we read this about shepherd laying down his life for his sheep, what you have to understand about that is something that is dramatically different from the way in which we, we would tend to think about that, or even these people t- uh, uh, would, would tend to think about it. So, because the fact is, they were used to kings being called shepherds, but no king lays his life down. Ever. You lay down your life for the king. That's what you do when he tells you to do it, right? And so, so this is a, this is a completely nuanced view. So it, I, what I want to do today is try to kind of break our typical understanding of this. While Jesus is using an agricultural metaphor, he is also speaking here very clearly to us about power, right? And so first century Jewish people would have had a more nuanced view. They, w- they would have understood uh, it would have, uh, that it was probably not uncommon for Herod, and we know he's not a good guy, to say he's the shepherd of his people. It would not have been uncommon for Caesar to have said, he's the shepherd of his people, but trust me, they're never going to say, and we'll die for you. Ever. Not going to happen. And so just to show you how this, uh, I did a little research, this is what I do when I have some time on my hands. Next slide. Uh, is I, I came across, I was trying to find some um, uh, contemporary things of this, and I came across this weird uh, article, uh, an obscure academic article uh, for some guy at Baylor. I don't know. Anyway, so the, um, um, he writes in this uh, about, uh, used the story from CNN about the public's divided opinion of former President George Bush's legacy. It was in 2010. Now, you probably thought, I, you know, you would not come to church today and hear George W. Bush's name. The point is, whether you like George W. Bush, fine. You don't like him, fine. You're indifferent, fine. I don't care, fine. The point of this is not, is not George W. Bush. It's the word that's used to describe him in the article. So if you're, if you're offended, fine. You have no reason to be offended, okay? There, you can tell I've been with family. So <laughs> describing... Describing the positive take, the article reads, supporters see a good man, a natural-born leader who shepherded the country through some of its most difficult moments. Now, this is from 2010. Somebody's writing for CNN uses the word shepherding to describe what a president does. I thought that was pretty weird, pretty unusual, right? Next slide. So the guy goes on the right. Doesn't it seem remarkable that more than a decade into the second millennium A.D. in a culture where the pastoral lifestyle is about as familiar to the average citizen as the feudal lifestyle. And feudal lifestyle is, you know, castles, dilly-dilly, you know, right? <laughs> right? We think that's really funny, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like, 
Do I need to tell people what feudal is? If I say dilly-dilly, they'll know what I'm talking about, right? So uh, in a culture where the pastoral lifestyle is about as familiar to the average citizen as a feudal lifestyle, that a leader of our republic would be said to shepherd the country when his positive leadership qualities are being emphasized. It is an indication that one of the most ancient memes, which I never thought I would see the word ancient and meme put together, because aren't, aren't memes a recent thing? I don't think Hammurabi did memes, right? So uh, it is an indication that one of the most ancient memes, that of the shepherd king, is still finding purchase in the modern mind long after the culture that first put it into writing is turned to dust. I think that's interesting. I think, I think so, so there is a thing about this that is still captivating to the human mind that we hear this, this story and we read this thing about Jesus being the good shepherd and it, it resonates with us, right? And it even resonates with us, not just in the terms of a, a shepherd cares for his sheep, a, ca- a shepherd makes sure they're provided for and that kind of stuff, but also that the, that the shepherd exercises power and authority over his flock to care for them and to provide for them. And even as Jesus makes very clear in this text to protect them from their very real enemies. Okay. That's a, that's a, that's an important thing for us to, to kind of begin to uh, understand as, as we look at this text. So next, next slide. So uh, it would, it would make sense that a shepherd or the king would defend his own. However, the concept of a sacrificial death would have been a new twist on this concept. People, people would have never thought that, right? It would never have occurred to anyone, just like it probably never occurs to us that if we were in a kingdom, that our king would actually go out in front of our soldiers if we were at war. Thankful we're not a kingdom and thankful that our leaders don't get in front of our soldiers and lead them into war. Um, uh, and as I thought about this, I could identify, I do know that there is one kingdom uh, in the world today that is existent where I know that the kings, at least the last two kings, actually uh, were in the military and actually participated in combat, the nation of Jordan. I do know that. So I don't know, there may be others, I'm sure those of you who are uh, smarter than me know that, but that's that's very unusual. That that would, that would, that's you know, it's, it's hard for us to, to think about that. Well, it would have been impossible for the people, the downtrodden, the oppressed people of Israel to have thought that Herod or Caesar would die for them. Okay? So that's very, that, that, that's very clear. So, so a couple of things for us to, to, to take uh, note of uh, today. So... Uh, now, one of the things that may be hard for us to understand, and in fact, for many of us, we, when we use the word enemies, uh, when we use the fact that uh, uh, Jesus uh, prepares a table for his people in the presence of their enemies, uh, when he uses here this uh, a metaphor of wolves uh, as our enemies, one of the things we think is we tend to think uh, of enemies as something that's unimportant. Right or something that's quaint, a weird description of of what's going on here. But Jesus is very clear about what he thinks about this, that we actually do as the flock of God, as his sheep, have real enemies. Real enemies. Real enemies. Real enemies. Now, we misidentify these enemies often. Uh, but as long as you are drawing breath, 
and you are in the flock of God, there is a real sense in which you have that, and you have enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil. And they want to undo you, right? We know that separation from the flock of God, uh, as we read uh, in the, uh, uh, the parable of the, the lost sheep, uh, leads to death. When you lose your identification with the shepherd and you lose your identification with the flock, you are in so much danger because, because the shepherd is no longer there to defend you, to care for you, and to provide for you, right? And so it is important for us to understand that even as we recognize that our shepherd leads us beside still waters and, and takes us to green pastures, the fact of the matter is there is no place on the planet where a shepherd can take the sheep where there aren't dangers, <clears throat> real dangers. And though we tend to minimize those dangers, the fact of the matter is uh, they are very real. And Jesus interposes, as we'll see, puts himself between us and those dangers, puts himself between us and those things uh, that would undo us. These things are real and they're destructive. We, we make our peace with them, but we do it uh, at our own, um, uh, well, at our own peril. Next slide. Um, so we read that these wolves come and their activity where they snatch the sheep, uh, what wolves will tend to do is they will come at sheep and grab them by the neck. And when you grab a, a, a sheep by the neck, it will die very rapidly. Uh, so it's not just snatching them to take them home, uh, you know, to have a toy. They, when they snatch them, they kill them. And the effect of this is scattering, Right. And, and that's the thing that you have to see about this is, is it's not just that, the, that the, the whole point of this is not just to get a meal. While that's true, it is to scatter the sheep. Because when you scatter the sheep, you have more meals. Okay? So when the, when the sheep are away from the, the shepherd and they're scattered and they're all out all by themselves, they are more likely to be undone. So the fact is, <clears throat> the enemies that Jesus is warning about, that he is recognizing... <clears throat> are the fact that the flock itself may get destroyed as a result of these wolves coming, right? Um, and here's, here's the thing. This is the thing that you, we have to see about this is, is that, that these things, we, we tend to, to think that they're not that big a deal. Now, what keeps you up at night? What do you think your enemy is? Cancer? Stock market downturn? What's going to undo you? Right? What's going to undo you forever is your own independence and your own sense um, that uh, the world and how it would press you into its mold, your fleshly and selfish desires, and the temptation that only comes from the evil one would not destroy you. And not only destroy you, but you see, that's the point of the flock is that once one sheep gets destroyed, it's very easy to begin the process of destroying others, right? So we should take this very seriously because 
the wolves are scary and deadly. Why else would the hired man take off, right? Why would he run if it wasn't something that was terrible, right? I mean, you could think like it. you would have a contract with your hired man to say, hey, when the wolf comes, you get wolf pay, right? You get, you get a bonus because you fought off the wolf. Well, the hired man's like, forget that. You know what? Bonus or dead? I'll take my life. I am running away from this. There's no way I am going to do that because they are just simply commodities, these sheep. They are simply just means to an end, and I am only doing this to get paid. And that's, that's a pretty profound thing for us to think about because those, that, that, that should tell us not only that there are, you know, the hired men are a problem, but the real problem for the hired man is not his lack of commitment. I mean, he's simply only doing what you and I would do, and that is cut my losses and get out of here, right? But the shepherd owns them, right? The, she, the sheep belong to the shepherd. They are his. And because they are his, he will do anything to protect them. Not just because of his own self-interest, but because they're his. They identify with him. He identifies with them. He owns them. And listen, one of the things, one of the enemies that, that would undo us is the belief that we are autonomous, independent individuals. And that my mission in life is to find my own sense of self-fulfillment. That what I am here for is to be fulfilled. That's why I exist. And frankly, that's why you exist in a weird way is to help you fulfill me. Right? <laughs> that that's the point of life. Now, there's nothing wrong with fulfillment. Man, if you can find it, grab it with all the gusto you can. But it's not why you're here. That's not the source of your identity. I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Truer words have never been penned by an uninspired author. And that says everything about me and everything about my shepherd. And that is the root and the core of my identity, not my own individuality and finding my own path to self-fulfillment. Because the path, if I think that's the only reason why I exist, uh, that's the pathway to death. So what I'm recognizing here, what Jesus is saying is he owns the sheep. He's the king. He's the shepherd. We belong to him. We bow the knee and we submit ourselves to him. Right. And so that's that's something that's so key. And that is the safest, most gracious, best place in the world for all of the sheep to be. Right. Secondly, what we know about this is unlike the hired man, the shepherd knows the sheep. He knows where they came from. He knows their mom and dad. He knows their temperament. He knows how they move. He knows how the the noises they make and where they go and that sort of thing. And so one of the things that is so impressive about that is is that to the hired man, it's just a commodity. It's just a bunch of woolly things out there on the hill that I take care of for money. But to the shepherd, they're named, owned they're a part of, of, of what he does. I mean, they, they belong to him and he knows them. Now, you know, we kind of think that's kind of quaint and cute that he knows them. But even more profound than that is, is that the fact that the sheep know the shepherd. They understand 
who he is. They understand what it is that he uh, has, has done for them. They understand that they belong to him. Now, sometimes it's confusing to us, right? Do, do I know the shepherd? What stirs you? What gets your attention? What, what drives and shapes your passions in life? Those things are an indication to us of the fact that we are known and we know the shepherd. Now, next slide. A, a thing that to, to note about this is, um, uh, this is what makes the, the hired hand different, but it's not just knowledge, you know? It's not just that I know that person. In the Bible, almost universally, anytime it says that God knows a person, the, the, the implication of that is he loves them. That knowledge, uh, when God says he knows someone, that means, that means he loves them. Uh, we read quaintly, right, in the, uh, in the old King James uh, version of the Bible that Adam knew his wife and she conceived. So whenever the word is used here to describe knowledge, it means an intimate understanding of this person. And so what, what happens here, and Jesus illustrates that by saying, my sheep know me and I know them. And it, he compares it to his relationship with his father, right? And so this is something that is, uh, that, that is, is profound to, to think about is that God says he knows me and he loves me. Now, that's even more profound because he knows me. Right? You know, sometimes we, we love the idea of people and then we get to know them. Right? pretty interesting. So, so how is it then that the shepherd demonstrates uh, his love and his knowledge? Well, he does it, he, he demonstrates his love and his power through sacrifice. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Uh, one of the most profound images you ever see on the news is a fire or a shooting and you see First responders, run to it. Run to it. Get between you and the danger. That's what the shepherd does. And he does it because he loves us. Um, One of the things that I have spent an inordinate amount of time on and something that I need to stop doing is watching Netflix. Maybe some of you know what Netflix is. Some of you might not know what Netflix is. It is a subscriber streaming service where you can waste a lot of time, a whole lot of time. Well, recently there's been a series on Netflix on Medal of Honor winners. Medal of Honor winners, the Medal of Honor is the highest honor that we give in our country for bravery in battle. And I've been watching it, and it is amazing. Uh, uh, Japanese-Americans and African-Americans and Italian-Americans who performed unbelievable feats of bravery, sacrifice. Most of them die in combat. And the thing that has been so profound to me about this is, is, is to think, on the one hand, what would it be like to have someone die for you like that? But even more profound than that is they interviewed the, the handful of guys who are still alive. Some of these guys are in their 90s. 
And they talked to them and their friends who were with them when they performed the bravery to, to win the, uh, the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor. They say, why did you do this? What motivated you to do it? Now, what we tend to think is they did it because they loved America. None of them said they loved America. Now, they said they enlisted because they loved America, but they jumped on that grenade or they got between their squad and a hundred enemies because they loved their guys. They loved them. And to see these 90-year-old guys talk about how much they loved each other and what they would do for each other is remarkable. There are many ways to demonstrate love, but the most powerful way to demonstrate love is sacrifice. There is, and that's why when you see people putting themselves in danger to protect someone else, it moves you because you're a human being. You're created by God to recognize that as something godlike and profound, and it gets your attention, right? And so when Jesus says he lays down his life for his sheep, he does it willingly. He does it because he loves. He sacrifices so that you and I are the recipients of his love. Now, one of the things that Jesus says makes it very clear here is that he does this. He lays down his life. Now, there's a, a, a help. I'm going to run down a rabbit trail real quickly for you because there are some people who view the gospel askance because the way they think about it is, you know, the Father makes Jesus do this, right? That it's, as one terrible theologian said, it's divine child abuse. Well, let me, let me just address that real quickly because I think this is important to get at the, the nature of the gospel and maybe a misunderstanding that many of us have. Let's, let's look at the next slide. So um, this is from uh, an early church father, uh, St. Anselm, and he writes this. The father did not compel him to suffer death or even allow him to be slain against his will, but of his own accord, that's of Jesus' own accord, he endured death for the salvation of men. So precious a life, given with such willingness, the son freely gave himself to the father. For thus we plainly affirm that in speaking of one person, we affirm the whole deity, he's talking about the Trinity there, to whom as man he offered himself. And by the names of Father and Son, a wondrous depth of devotion is excited in the hearts of the hearers when it is said that the Son supplicates the Father on our behalf. And then this is the kicker right here. The Son had agreed with the Father and the Holy Spirit that there was no other way to reveal to the world the height and depth of his omnipotence than by his death. Now, when you first read that, what do you think he's going to say? What you think he's going to say is that there was no other way to reveal to the world the height and depth of his love than by his death. But the fact of the matter is what the cross shows us is the power of God, his omnipotence, his victory over sin, his victory over death. It is power. And I want you to come to grips with that. We're so confused about what the nature of power is. The nature of power is demonstrated to us in the cross of Christ by sacrifice, not by 
mere fiat, where I tell you what to do, or I exercise some sort of power. This is a profound thing for us. So that we see and understand the power of God is most clearly displayed to us. It's displayed to us in so many ways. It's displayed. You'll see it when you walk out this door. There's a maple tree out there that is screaming the praise of God today. Look at it because it won't be next week. Well, it still will be, but just not as loud. But the power of God is demonstrated to us not solely in that, but in his sacrifice for us. So what are we to make of this? Well, one of the ways uh, that we are to make of this is this. I feel powerless most of my life. Do you? (laughs) And part of the reason why I feel powerless is I have not come to grips with the fact that God demonstrated his power and his sacrifice for me. And so I don't live in light of that. And because I don't live in light of that, it's real hard to think of how I am demonstrating love, God-like love, and that sacrifice for others. When we come to grips with the fact that the good shepherd laid down his life because he loved us and he knows us, and he knows us and he loves us, that changes everything about how I think about myself and about the people that God has placed in my life. Hear these words of institution. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Let's uh, use this prayer of confession that's printed uh, in the bulletin. Almighty and merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done. And we have done what we ought not to have done, and there is no help in us. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent. According to your promises, declared to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a godly, righteous, and obedient life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, our good shepherd took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. Jesus prepares the table. So if Jesus is preparing a table for us, he must be present with us. He's here. But one of the crazy things about the table that Jesus prepares for us, he prepares it for us in the presence of our enemies. Now, why would he do that, right? Well, he does that as a demonstration to us and to our enemies of who our good shepherd is, who, to whom we belong, to whom are we known, and, and by whom are we loved, right? And so as we come to the table today, we have an opportunity uh, to declare that, that our God has put himself between us and our enemies so that we can sit in the presence of our enemies and enjoy fellowship with our, our Savior, We so often minimize the effect of sin, our sin, and the effect of sin upon us. Jesus prepares a table for us today in the presence of our enemies. A day comes where he prepares a table for you and there are no more enemies. Recently I was with someone who was, uh, who I believe is soon to be at that banquet. And I was struck in my heart and soul um, by a tinge of jealousy that, I know that sounds weird, uh, but that the effects of sin are about to fall away completely, forever. No more enemies. No more uh, having to face and gather behind our shepherd who interposes himself at the cost of his life, right, for our safety. That's our king. That's our shepherd. That changes everything. If you've come to the place of your spiritual life where you know that you have no other shepherd but the good shepherd who laid down his life for you. You proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere. Uh, be renewed, be restored, be encouraged this morning uh, by what it is uh, that he has done for you in identifying you as his sheep and as his flock. As the elders and deacons come down uh, forward uh, this morning to uh, assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine. Uh, the inner rings are grape juice. The bread is gluten-free, all the bread.